Hey guys, before we jump in, I want to tell you a couple of things. First of all, today's guest is Tilly Harris. She's back. I hope you heard episode 175 already. If not, definitely listen to that one right after this show. That's where I fully introduce Tilly, my writing partner, close friend, and soon to be frequent guest on air with Ella. You guys, in episode 175, I'm so sorry if you listened to it in the first few days that it was live. Apparently, I screwed something up, and so it sounded like a verbal tennis match. Like, my voice was in your left ear, and Tilly's voice was in your right ear, and that's just so annoying. I don't know what I did. But anyway, thank you so much for telling me that I did that. Always tell me if something is wonky so I can fix it right away, okay? The other thing I want you to know, a couple of announcements. First of all, I want you to start sending me your questions. I don't care if they're about money, your financial health, if they're about people in your life, whether they're about love or confidence or motivation or even exercise and nutrition, imposter syndrome, succeeding in business, your questions big and small. Tilly and I want to do more and more of these episodes where we answer your questions. So send those questions in to just ask at onairwithella.com. Again, that's just ask at onairwithella.com. Okay, just email me. All right. In July, we will be doing an event in London on July 12th. Loads more information about that. But if you are anywhere near London, if you can get on a train and get to London, if you are within a two-hour flight of London, put a placeholder on July 12th. More details coming. But I want to do more than just a meetup. I want to do like a half-day event into the evening with you. So lots more to come. But just know if you're anywhere around London, England, July 12th, save that date for me. Finally, just a big fat thank you to those of you who are sharing the show in social media and leaving reviews. The best thing to do is to take a screenshot of your favorite show while you're listening to it and just to share it in social media. That is so, so great. And it really is getting the word out. The listenership is just growing and growing and growing. And that's because of you guys. It's certainly not because of me. It's because you are sharing the show. All I can do is give it to you. And what you do with it is everything. So thank you for that. Send us your questions at justask at onairwithella.com. And here we go with Tilly Harris. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and I am joined by Tilly Harris. Hey Tilly, welcome back. Hi, it's good to be back, Ella. I know, this is fun. I'm pumped. Let's get straight to it. I mean, we've got three questions today. They span quite the spectrum, but they're all related to women at work. I guess we should offer some sort of disclaimer because some of these topics might be a little a little juicy if you have little kiddos in the car. We're going to talk about sexual harassment. So I whispered just in case you were not prepared to turn it down. So that should help. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it. I'm going to start with Reluctant Networker. She says, I am a young professional in the real estate industry. Should I be a part of some sort of young professionals network? Does the young part even matter that much? I don't love networking, but I know it's beneficial. How do you network? It's a great question. And actually, it throws up quite a lot of stuff because immediately I think, oh, th- th- this is a cultural one. You know, English people like to think that Americans network and that we don't. <laughs> 
Um, I know it's mad. It's completely mad because, of course, everyone does actually. But a lot of people would claim that they don't network because I think um, I think it does have a sort of slight air of being grabby or vulgar or some kind of like there's something very um, manipulative about deliberately connecting with people in that way. Yeah, the word that springs to mind for me, and and this is a technical term, is schmarmy. Like it just feels <laughs> it's networking. It's like oh, I need to go meet people because I need something, and it feels thirsty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So people, and and that makes people inauthentic or, or or false. Or yeah, absolutely, yeah. But that's hilarious because obviously, like my entire professional career relies on my network. <laughs> Mine mean- too. Mine too. Absolutely. No, it's a completely bananas thing to think. Actually, I mean, really, quite often, quite often, I think when we feel superior. Or, or try and distance ourselves from something other people do in that way. It's it's some kind of defense. And I would say that, that, that the superiority that people express around this probably is to do with the fear of getting out there as well. Like we all need to meet people. We all need to put our best foot forward and, and we all need to connect. And, and that's not always the most comfortable experience. I, I think particularly, I mean, you know, people don't like things that don't fit in discrete categories, you know, and neither one thing nor another. So because it's not social, but it's not work, that, that sense of are we looking for opportunities or making friends? I, I think it makes people feel uncomfortable. You're so right. It, it feels like it's meant to be professional in some way and also hyper contrived social where everyone's got what I call their church face on <laughs> You're on like yeah. your best behavior using this tone of voice and introducing one another. And I, there's just something very, I don't know, kind of it kind of inauthentic about that. Yeah, yeah. And uncomfortable about that, that sort of balancing a paper plate and holding a glass while you're trying to shake someone's hand. You know, it's ghastly, actually. But it doesn't have to be like that. Because I think, you know, connecting with people who are interested in the same things as you and know about things you want to learn about is a, is a really good way to spend your time. And it's and it's totally ethical. It's fine. For me, the shift was probably in my early 20s when I realized that instead of having to go and get stuff from other people the best way to connect with other people is to focus on them and so for me now if I'm in those kinds of situations I just focus on value to others really so I I put my energy into asking them about what they do and their work and their projects not least because those kind of ideas and, and, and insights are really helpful to be around but also it just stops me feeling like I'm being needy or weird you know I do and you said something really important actually and I don't want to just gloss over it you said that we have almost like a superiority defense when you know like oh I'm above that that sort of thing and it made me think that is the flip side of that coin is the imposter syndrome that I talk about quite frequently right which is it's the opposite it's I'm not good enough to be here I you know what if they get too close and they figure out that I'm a fraud or all these people create value and what am I like I'm just a beginner or whatever right it's two sides of the same coin the superiority is just a defense mechanism I mean I'm repeating what you said with less eloquence but (laughs) it's all a defense system no you're completely on point and in 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 psychotherapy there's a kind of there's an idea of split thinking when we feel vulnerable or persecuted we go to a place where, where we have to be better than or worse than we can't just be what we are in our own skin we have to either be superior to other people or completely worthless you know and we, um so yes that that kind of either i'm a terrible imposter and, and and nobody rates me or i'm too good to do this neither of those are particularly healthy positions and they and they speak of fear really so we're both i think pro networking but probably not the way reluctant networker is maybe thinking about it or the stereotypes that come up for everybody when they think about it yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not about the, the, the handing a business card or, or asking for opportunities. You know, I mean, that it's just connecting with people that you're interested in. Right. 
Okay, so let's break this down into real tips that reluctant networker can use because I think that what you just said is the stereotype that comes up for people. It's like, oh, I need to take a stack of business cards and go shake some hands and ask people what they do and tell them what I do. And that's like, you know, (laughs) that's like base level networking, right? And not recommended. Okay, so let's share some, some actual tips, some things that we actually do. So you said that you focus more on creating value for other people. Like, what does that look like? For me, it just, it's it's about being genuine, right? Like I don't have much space or time in my life for things that don't, don't light me up or don't make me feel energized or don't add value to whatever's going on at the time. You know, I I don't have much time just, just for chat. So, so that's actually quite a good thing because what, what it means is that I'm genuinely interested in where people are coming from. I'm trying to work out what's their thing and what lights them up and what's exciting about that, you know? So, so generally I don't really worry about talking about what I do at all. I, I, genuinely want to know what people's passions are. Yeah, when you feel the pressure of having to do a certain thing that feels uncomfortable and inauthentic, it's much harder. But if you go and you realize it's not about you at all. So if like handing your business card and asking what they do is networking 101, and then and then most people, I would argue this day and age, know kind of networking 201, Tilly, where they're like, well, I don't just give my business card. I also ask how I can help them because I know I'm supposed to be of service. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that, that also sounds fairly sort of contrived and uncomfortable. Yeah that I hate getting that, you know, having that conversation where you meet somebody and they're like, Oh, like, how can I help you? And you know, it's well intended, like, you know, that it's coming from networking 201, that it's more advanced than networking 101. And they know they're supposed to be of service. And God help me, I know I've done this to people. So I'm so sorry. But it's like, it's still like an eagerness. And the recipient is like, ah, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's much more, you know, that you, you, you stand and talk to someone about what lights them up and what you find fascinating. They tell you about their, you know, their passion project at the moment and you say you know that's amazing actually I read something about that maybe I can send it to you or but but it's not a way of harvesting their email address that's not that, that's not what I want to imply you want to just genuinely connect and share books and share ideas and 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 you may have stuff in common that leads to something and you may not but that's really not the point the point is you know to have a meaningful exchange that you both feel uh, interested or inspired by right so let's talk about what that looks like then so so we agree that networking 201 we're ready to graduate we're going to go now into our master's program and get our our master's degree in networking. And that's going to start to look more like, okay, here are resources that I'm aware that may be of use to you. Like you said, I don't mean you would use that sentence. I mean, that's your (laughs) framework. So you're like, somebody's sharing something about what they do. And you mention a book that you've read or a people that they should look into or a podcast you've heard on that topic or a forum that they should explore, you know, where that they would be good in. Like I'll suggest to people, oh, there's this thing, you would be a great speaker for that. You know, you should totally check that out. And, and, you can do that with so many people without much effort. And it's again, it's not like this thirsty feeling where you need something from them. You're just like, oh, you know, I just heard something or read something on that topic. Let me share that with you. And that's it. It's that simple, but it's so much less about you and so much more about creating value for them. Yeah. And if any of this can feel shmami and false if it's shmami and false. And any of this can sound genuine if it's genuine, you know. So even if you are, you know, saying I read something on that the other day, if it's because the point in the conversation is to try and say your next bit so that you will have networked well, it's going to be a nightmare. It just is about getting comfortable in your own skin and talking to people and looking in the whites of their eyes. And the easiest way to do that and to not feel nervous and to not feel weird is to take the emphasis off yourself and put it on them. People like being asked about what they're into. 
So let me just share one more tip. This is PhD level networking. We're now in graduate, graduate school. This is something that I still work on. And frankly, it requires a network because the sort of advanced level networking is when you can personally connect people to other people and to opportunities. And this is the arena I like to operate in. So if I meet somebody, my mind is like just trolling through my index of opportunities and people and figuring out who can I connect this person to? It has nothing to do with me, but I love of connecting people to other people or to opportunities or to like a speaking engagement that might be a great idea. Like that is my favorite thing to do in the world. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, ultimately, if you are in a room with other people who do inspiring, interesting things and you're engaging with them, you'll come out feeling energized and more capable. And that just has to be a good thing. So yeah, get out there. Don't don't make too big a thing of it. It's not something you have to learn how to do. You just have to go and be yourself and be interested. Well, Reluctant Networker did ask us if the young professionals networking thing mattered. And I would just say, I actually prefer diversity. I think it's more robust and I think it gives you, I think it gives you sort of more to work with. But I will say that there are so many opportunities for young professionals and networking groups that I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, I honestly just would treat it almost as irrelevant and go do. And don't get too wound up about these things. Just just go and connect with real people in real ways and have a lovely time. Practice, practice, practice. I want to talk about letter number two, Ella. We're calling it harassed. This has been on my mind all week, really. Not least because it's a topic that is quite triggering for some people. And also, I think it throws up so many memories of occasions and so many situations. Let me read it to you. What are the ways that you deal with sexual harassment and other offensive comments, maybe religious or political ones? What are the phrases that will shut it down? I sit next to a man who would constantly whisper compliments, she puts those in inverted commas, while he was sitting next to me, like, your body looks nice today, you've been working out, your pants look nice. Uh, so, sorry, pants in England means underwear, like underpants, but I don't think it does in the US. So moving on. Um, it, it, anyway, so she says, it makes me really uncomfortable. First, I complained to my friends because I felt so awkward and didn't know how to handle it. I didn't feel I could speak up for myself. So in the end, I took it to our manager. But I want to figure out how to stand up for myself in these situations instead of getting flustered and embarrassed. Oh, that this is the type of thing that makes me crazy. Oh, I know, Ella, I know. And it's it's such a horrible thing because it's completely unsolicited. You're just go, getting on with your life and then someone saying stuff that makes your skin crawl, you know, and this guy sounds like a real creep. And they think it's a compliment. You're off the hook if you have a problem with it. Oh, uh, Ella, th- th- I think that's a really interesting point because actually I, compliments are great. You know, people you love saying that you're lovely. Let's hope those never stop. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> But having somebody sitting next to you that actually, if it was your own life, you wouldn't sit next to, you'd move away from the boss super quick. But because it's work, she's kind of trapped, right? She can't avoid him. And, and the more you think about that, the more you realize that it's a, it's a kind of quiet kind of violence because he's he's overlaying her space that she's trying to work in with, with these statements that express that he's essentially enjoying looking at her body. Yeah, like that's what she's there for. Yes, exactly. That her job is to pretty up the place and be grateful when he notices. Ugh. Yeah, it, it's not okay. She talks about telling lots of people instead of talking to him about it. And and I think that this is, this is to do with the way that we're raised as girls. You know, I, I just think so often we're taught not to be rude and not to hurt people's feelings. For heaven's sake, make sure that he doesn't feel uncomfortable, despite the fact that he's making your skin crawl. I mean, honestly, I feel like we're almost taught to affirm their feelings far, like way far in advance of ours. Like, 
<laughs> our yeah. feelings are not even relevant. It's make them feel good about themselves. I don't know if I'm, do you think that's too heavy handed? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I actually, I worry about this with my own daughter. I have a little girl and, and I praise her for being very kind and thoughtful and, and um, preempting other people's feelings and essentially being an empath, you know, and they, they are nice qualities, but, but I do think, gosh, am, am I raising her to put other people's well-being above her own? And, and I think it is an issue for the girls we raise. Can I just mention something? Uh, so often when you have visitors over, if you have a little girl, you have visitors over, so often with our little girls, we're like, hug uncle so-and-so or give oh. a big kiss or, and we tell them to hug and to kiss. Yeah. Sorry, this is a bit of a rabbit hole, but I'm just realizing that we we actually sort of instruct them to do that sort of thing, which yeah, I've never looked at. Go and use your body at. to make that other person feel good, whether you want to or not. I mean, it's it's actually pretty horrible instruction. I um I don't do it. I remember being sent across the living room to politely kiss, you know, my parents, friends, and things, and just finding it agony when I was little. And I I don't I don't do that with my kids now. In fact, even if people think it's rude, I will say to my children, it's okay. You don't have to hug if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. If they look uncomfortable when someone's trying to get them to. I, I try very hard to teach my children that a sort of good chunk of space around the edge of your body belongs to you and you under any circumstances can decide who goes in and out of that space. Oh, that's good. And I'm sorry I took us out of the workplace, but I just think this tangent might be important. I think it's really important, actually, Alex. But, but back to our letter writer, I'm interested in his motives and intentions, you see, because he may not be fully aware that she's uncomfortable. I actually think he's probably exploiting the passivity that she's showing. I think her discomfort is something he's getting leverage out of. Mm-hmm. But but men have, you know, for the past million years, managed to convince themselves that we like this. You know? <laughs> um, so I think that's not good enough. I think that a man in this day and age has a responsibility to be aware that this stuff's maybe not not landing where he wants it to. That it's a duty to be mindful and just not realizing is not a good enough reason. I mean, if we think about the Me Too movement now, I mean, it's, you know, at last, at last men, and obviously it isn't all men, but some men who have thought that they were cruising around complimenting women are, are, are recognizing that maybe that's not a great way to behave at work. And and frankly, if, if you want to compliment a woman at work, then tell her that you like her spreadsheets and her bar charts, right? Not, not, not that you like her legs or her dress. It just still sounds dirty when you say it. <laughs> spreadsheets and bar charts. Okay. Sorry. I'm 11. Yeah. It's just not your job to pretty up the place and reaffirm him. You don't have to do that at work. And you know what's tricky? And she she did end up going to the manager, she says. And what's interesting here, though, is that I recognize at work, particularly, women have to sort of figure out the cost-benefit analysis here and be like, am I going to be labeled a bit or a troublemaker? And I'm sorry to be so crass, but I mean, that's what it is. It's, oh, th- there's the troublemaker who can't take a compliment, or Joe is just telling her that her hair looked nice, and she blew it up into a full-scale like sexual assault. I mean... Yeah, and here's the thing, Anna, you know, I mean, there's a, you know, there's a really strong contingent of women saying, well, the only way we get over that is every time it happens, you go to HR and HR have to sort it out until we normalize shouting this stuff out. And I think completely solid, reasonable thing to say. I also think if you don't want to deal with it that way, that's okay too, because essentially it's it's not your job to train this guy into being a decent colleague, right? It's basically deal with it in the way that works for you best, because this is about you and you did not invite this behavior and you need to, to shut it down as quickly and as effectively as you can for you, however that works. Yeah. And just like you say, it's not your job to train them, but I believe, and I know that you do too, it's important to have your skills and like your tools at the ready, no matter what. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This, this is what I mean, really. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that when I was 20 used to kill me. And w- when you're not used to dealing with it, I think it is harder. And as you get older, you basically get some stock phrases or you get a stock approach to it that essentially works for you. Your way of just saying, I'm not, I'm not okay with this, don't. Whatever your thing is, you know? Yeah. I bet you're really good at that, actually, Ella. I remember once we were in Paris and some men came to talk to us and we just looked up and gave them like the Ella dead eye. I just was not there for their amusement that evening. And, and I know, was, I know. <laughs> like they spoke to me and I was like, oh, what do I have to do to make this work? And you were like, we don't have to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Au revoir. <laughs> okay, so let's share some tips and how to develop those phrases. But I do need to put some boundaries around this conversation because I want to say what we're not talking about. I'll just feel better, Tilly, if I get this out on the table. We yeah. we are not talking about explicit you know, violence of illegal behavior. And, and frankly, you get to choose choose where any type of action or behavior lands on your spectrum. So something that is incredibly offensive to me might roll off of somebody else like water off a duck's back, but you get to decide where things land on your spectrum. That is your personal choice. Like I cannot say that strongly enough. Yeah, no, I think you have said that very strongly, Ella. I think that's completely cool. All right. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, I really do think it's useful to have a conversation just about how to handle the occasional more like low-level comments that, dare I say, the commenter even thinks they might be delivering you a genuine compliment and that that you should do nothing but say thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Or push your hand through your hair and giggle uncomfortably. It's that, you know, that stuff. That stuff is a nightmare. I mean, let's just talk about all the times people have said things to you that are unwelcome and we've reacted by giggling. Saying thank you. (laughs) Saying thank you is my favorite. It's like, thank you. Because you have nothing in your arsenal. Like you got nothing. You reached for something and it's empty and it's not there. Okay, so so what are the Ella comments, right? Like sleazy guy says, hey, Ella, you've been working out and you say what? I mean, it depends on the context so much. I have probably three approaches. I'm making this up as we speak. So let me see if I can articulate what these might be. I think the first thing that's important is if somebody's saying something that does genuinely make you uncomfortable, like this guy, I mean, this guy unquestionably, again, it's your choice, it's your spectrum. I'm putting him firmly on offensive, rude, not okay. He, he's firmly on my spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think that the most important thing to do is to do say something. In other words, finding your phrase is the most important first step. So figuring out a phrase that works for you and then mustering up those 10 seconds of bravery, Tilly, because that that 10 seconds spares you, it could spare you months, even years of trouble, but also it helps you it helps you flex that muscle so that muscle gets bigger. But what are you saying? Like, like, should she just say, please don't talk about my personal appearance? Or like, what should she say? Okay, so here are the three, in my opinion, being no expert whatsoever, just a person who has had to build the toolkit a little bit. Mm-hmm. The first option, I think, is body language. So mm-hmm. A, getting control of your body language so that you don't have that auto response where you might giggle or not know what to say or look like a mm-hmm. deer in headlights and not utter a thank you because you're at a complete loss. So the first yeah. thing to me is to control your body language. Yeah. And I think this is this is going back to what I was saying earlier about about being raised to be an empath, right? You know, we are not raised to give someone a dead eye and hold an uncomfortable silence. But actually, if we don't reward the behavior, it, it probably will put the brakes on it pretty rapido. Not always, but when it does, it does. Like there's some people you can shut down by making dead eye eye contact. <laughs> 
(laughs) looking at them directly and then saying something like, no, and literally turning (laughs) back around. I mean, if you ever do that to me, I know I'll never recover. That sounds awful. (laughs) That's a real tool. (laughs) I use it on the regular, especially when it's just some, some like, I I don't know how to say this gracefully. I, I, I don't know how to have this conversation gracefully, Tilly. I think I might just be giving that up entirely, but just if it's just a jackass, do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe you're out, yeah. maybe you're out for the evening and it's someone you don't even know. And, and, and I think it's very, very effective to, to look them dead in the eye and just be like, no, and, and turn your back and walk away or just disengage. And so that's low level, right? Low level. <laughs> Right. That's later. So what happens next? Okay. So if we're going to escalate this, then I think that there are many, many different ways to approach this verbally. And the first thing I'll get on the table is my, an uh, unpopular opinion. And that is that I don't like saying you're making me uncomfortable. So a lot of things, if you go read about this, they're like, you need to tell that person that they are making you uncomfortable. And I, I get my back oh. up on that. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, because because it's essentially saying that the issue there is your emotion. The problem is your emotional response. And actually, the problem is his behavior. So it would be more effective to say, what, Ella? A couple things, several verbal options. The first one that I actually employ a lot is humor, but a very dismissive humor, right? So if somebody comes up to me in, let's say, a conference room in the middle of a meeting and says, Ella, your calves are popping. <laughs> That happened. It really did. That happened. That really happened. You see, I think I think that there is a certain kind of man that will say that in a board meeting just to draw the attention to the fact that you're a woman and, and, and to try and make your presence less powerful. Less powerful. I, yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's suddenly it's, you're, you're about your appearance instead of what you're going to say at that board meeting. It's yeah. not cool. I totally agree. And in this case, it happened to be somebody that I know and that I like. And I just turned to him and I was like, well, this is a perfectly appropriate place to make a comment like that. So thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah, excellent. You, you know what I mean? You're like, well, thank you. That's exactly what I'm here to talk about today. And then everybody gets to laugh and move swiftly on and nobody feels like they're going to get sent to HR. But at the same time, he's not going to do that to you again. Exactly. And and I do get that some personality is is at play there. It just might not be your personality to whip off a retort like that. If Sometimes humor, when we're made to feel uncomfortable, humor is not at the ready. And I get that. I want to acknowledge oh. that. But the bottom line is that you can make a comment where you're the adult and they are the child. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just, just that sarcasm, you know, like, yes, getting your approval for my appearance was really important to me when I got dressed this morning. <laughs> it's like sexual harassment improv. Okay, so <laughs> this is what I would say to harassed at work. I would tell her that I would come up with a little bit of a stronger statement here because this guy is over the top and it's and it's repeated behavior. And and I would come up with something along the lines of like you may intend your comments to be funny, but they're not. Shut it down. Yeah. Really I, I would make it about him. Yeah. So you may intend this to be funny or you may intend that to be a compliment, but I don't yes. like it. Shut yeah. it down. But just saying stop or mm-hmm. that's not okay with me. You need to shut it down. That's not mm-hmm. okay with me. You need to stop. It takes so it's 10 seconds of bravery. It's just finding the words that actually will come out of your mouth naturally and practice and just have yeah. one phrase. You can use one yeah, phrase yeah, yeah. with lots and lots of people. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to say that I was just thinking back to when we were, you know, um, jamming on, on various sarcastic insults. I'm not saying that if we can't giggle and be cute, then we still have to find some socially palatable way to deal with it. It's not It's not like, oh, and now you've got to be really funny so that you don't hurt him too much. You know, it's what I'm saying is play to your strengths, work out what you are most comfortable with and use that. 
That is such an important point. Thank you for thinking to say that. I think that honestly, Tilly, like no matter what your personality, no matter where you are in the moment, no matter whether it's someone you know, like, and trust, and you're they're, they're just being an idiot for a moment, um, <laughs> no matter what the context, I think that just using the phrase, I'm not okay with that can be a really powerful universal blanket to throw over these things because she mentions other offensive comments. So how many of us have been at dinner with somebody who says something just, just, just blatantly racist, just blatantly racist. Oh gosh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, I, so I feel very strongly about this, particularly in front of my children. There's, there's just, I will not listen to that kind of aggressive stuff. So occasionally there has been instances where I've had to say to, to distant relatives or, or, or whatever, in my house, we don't do hate speak. And it just stops it in its tracks, right? Like, like it's not, it's not aggressive. I'm not falling out with them. I'm like, anyway, would you like a cup of tea? It's fine. <laughs> like we move along, right? But I, I just shut it down. Yeah. And I think that nobody can't say, I'm not okay with this conversation. And, and you can throw that blanket on so many different types of offenses. The, the only other phrase that I sort of brainstormed was to just say, you know, stop, like stop harassing people, stop harassing me, stop acting like what you're doing is okay. No one likes it. I don't like it. Show some respect. So I hope that's useful. Just remember body language, practice that, practice not physically sort of almost hunching and hiding and stop the awkward giggle. It gets all of us. I would Mm -hmm. encourage all of us to practice shutting down the auto giggle and then pick the verbal option that works for you and practice it. Tilly's point of nipping it in the bud so that because every single time we let this stuff go, it feels like a type of consent to them. Get stronger. It's like it's, uh, they read it as consent, even though it's not consent. But I mean, the last thing I want to say to your letter writer, Ella, is I am really sorry that she's having to put time and energy into this when she should be working, right? Like it's not your job to train other people to be decent human beings. But actually, as a woman in the workplace, these are good skills to have. Like you, you're just going to have to learn to squish this stuff quick. Side Hustle says... I have a side hustle that I'm developing that I am hoping will one day be my full-time business. I really struggle with pricing. Can you give us a crash course in how to set prices? So side hustle, I'm not sure that's a phrase we use a lot in England. Um, does it ju- does it just mean like a, a, another business that you do as well as your job? Yeah, basically. So it's not your J-O-B job. It is the thing you're building on the side, whether it's your passion project or you hope one day it will be much more of a business. And so, yeah, you're working it on the side. Okay. So, so first thing actually for the reader, like good for you. Like I am all about people gently entering into the thing that they're passionate about and seeing if they can monetize it. You're already in a good place if you're asking questions like this. Agree. So I've actually got some things to say about this, Ella, because I have my own company and and have had for a long time. But I was actually, she asks about pricing and, and that is an issue quite close to my heart because I was really avoidant in the sort of financial area of my company for a long time. I, so I had these really strong narratives that, that protected me from dealing with it. So, so I would say that I was a creative and not an entrepreneur, or I would say that I was hopeless with money. Basically, I just had these stories that meant that I didn't have to engage with money because money was making me feel uncomfortable. Mm. Actually, those narratives allowed me to feel like there was something special about me that I didn't have to do things that other people did. And it kept me kind of safe and small you know and actually it's amazing because as I became braver and and looked at this stuff a little bit more closely and pushed myself harder 
you know, my income rose significantly, very quickly and very easily. Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? Because I didn't actually even go after more money. That's not what I did. But just stopping being avoidant made a tremendous difference. Mm. And that's probably another show. But what I would say is, is that if you have, you know, as many people do, if you have issues around self-worth, trying to monetize something that comes from your heart is very difficult. Oh, um, I see that all the time, Tilly. I talk to people who want to start their own coaching business or, you know, even their own podcast or some sort of wellness business, that type of thing. I, uh, as you might imagine, I talk to people like that all the time. And there is such a disconnect between the value that they're creating and then what they feel that they're like allowed or entitled to charge for it because it becomes about them. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and it's that sense that, you know, it might be that they don't think their work's that great or that they think their work's great, but they just don't feel like they deserve that much of something. Yeah, and they're not comfortable asking for it. Yeah, certainly not comfortable asking for it. And I still, you know, with my business still, negotiating is an area that, that I am... Um, least comfortable you know I can I can go into a board meeting and say that, that the communication strategy needs totally rewriting I'm, I'm fine to argue a point all of that's fine negotiating fees I hate it you know so I really am having to work on that but the truth is when you believe you're worth something so do other people you know it really reminds me years ago someone told me about this girl who was giving French lessons like you know like just like to kids to help them through their exams and she really quite young and and she put up a little sign it was like when people used to put up things in shop windows, you know, and she put up a sign saying, I think it was like 10 pounds an hour French lessons. And she didn't have any students, like just no one bit. And her dad changed her sign to 40 pounds an hour. And, and she now, you know, immediately had too many clients. And it was simply because people didn't want a rubbish French teacher and they wanted a good French teacher. And obviously a good French teacher charges more. So I, I think there's something really important there about valuing yourself. Almost every business owner that I know and almost every entrepreneur that I know is undercharging. But when you say undercharging, Ella, do you mean they're not getting as much as they could for it or that they are costing themselves too much? Or, or what do you mean by undercharging? Oh, that's a great question. So obviously it varies depending on the industry or the arena in which they're operating, right? But the number one thing that I see is people feeling that they are charging what they can get away with asking. I'm using that inflection on purpose. It's like, uh, can I charge this much? And I just flip it. What feels wild and crazy to you? Um, and by, by the way, I do anchor it to facts, but I like to blow it up. And I try to get people to think about what is the maximum value you could create for somebody? And what would that be worth to them? So if you are running a laser and aesthetics business, for example, and you're like, well, mm -hmm. I'm pricing it by this is how much a laser is. And this is how much it costs me. Therefore, I can charge this much. I mean, no, 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 no. You are selling beauty and the feeling of youth and invigoration and all these exploitive ways that people make money off of people like me. And <laughs> oh, you're and completely on your own. I never, I never worry about my pants. <laughs> but you are selling an outcome and and what is what value is that outcome for somebody so if somebody's looking at starting a coaching business what is the outcome you are trying to create for people and and what is that outcome worth to a person and it's not about exploiting the consumer it's about understanding the outcome that you're delivering and then attaching a monetary value to the value you create for people and it's just an exercise it's not the whole thing but it's an exercise that helps people blow up their money paradigms. Yeah. But here's the thing, you know, deep inside, you know, we, we all fear rejection terribly. And the fear is that if you overprice your product or service, then people won't want it and it won't sell. And then you will be rejected and that will be painful. I mean, that that's where it comes from, I'm sure. 
Well, and also something that you touched on, and that is just that our own feelings of worthiness, like, oh my gosh, I could never, or I can't ask for that much, or I, 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 I. And so any mm-hmm. of our narratives that begin with the word I, like, I, there's no way I don't have enough experience. I don't have, let me, let me tell a story from my own business. I started the TriVista group, I mean, 15 years ago, and mm-hmm. I was, you know, a baby child and I was scared to put prices on things and I was making it up as I went along. And I was doing some work in that area. I was reading something, you know, I was trying to figure this all out. And somebody put the idea in my head that money is neutral. Money is completely a neutral thing. All of the meaning is assigned by us to money. So you are entirely in charge of the meaning that you give money. And at the time I was giving money the following meaning. I'm young. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just starting out. I don't know what this is worth. I have no idea what people will pay for this. And if I fail, I really fail to your point. I mean, I don't just fail. Like I don't eat. (laughs) And, And so it was a lot of stuff, right? Money is neutral. And it is one of the levers that's involved whenever I'm trying to get something done. We need to take an enormous amount of our emotional script out of money conversations. I suppose there's a much bigger conversation at play here. And honestly, this is what I'd say. Listeners, like if there's anything here you want to talk about, you need to ask us about it because we are both also business owners and have been for many years. And we could deep dive into this topic with you if you wanted to. I know I've moved so far away from... side hustles question. <laughs> no, 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 no. But that's a really good point, Ella. And, and send us more work questions, listeners, because we really want to talk about your businesses. Yeah, I think this would be a very, very interesting place to go. And I will bring it back to side hustles questions. Let me tell you, let me just give you some do's and some don'ts that I think can be very, very powerful. Yeah, because I was going to say th- this is all very well. But what if she actually just has a product like she sells herb tea, and she wants to know how much it should cost? Right? I know side hustles like I didn't need psychiatry. I actually just want to know how much the price <laughs> oh, is. But you did- side hustle because we all do. We do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. All right. So here are my don'ts. Here's what people do. And I'm going to strongly encourage us to not do it. Do not ask people who don't know anything about your target market. You don't need opinions about how to price things. And we do this all the time. I know. I asked my husband. Yes, I ask my husband. Ask our husband. He's never worked in my sector and he doesn't know anyone else that does. Why but would I ask him? This is what we do. This is our comfort zone. We go to people who don't know anything about anything with regard to our target market and we ask them for their opinions. Mm. Mm, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I don't mean to imply that we don't have people in our inner circles that actually do know something about our target market. Like, that's great. That's lovely when it happens. But I'm talking about when we go and ask our mom. So... <laughs> That is what the number one thing that I would recommend not doing. Ideally, if you wanted to get some framework around how to price something in a particular niche, in a particular market, you would do some of the following. First of all, you would ask people who have your target customer in your market, but in a different industry. So it's very difficult to go to your competition and be like, hey, what do you charge? Yeah. No, people don't love that question, do they? Yeah. (laughs) Just trying to work this out because I'd like to be in competition with you. Um, But what what we might miss then is the opportunity to go to people who are serving the same type of customer in our same market but in a totally different service. So what would that look like? I don't quite understand. Okay, so you know I used to own a juice and cafe business. Okay, so if I were building another location and there's like a cycle bar, like a spinning class or cycle bar, that type of thing Mm -hmm. nearby, they're going there or a yoga studio, right? Or Or pure bar, something like that. Something that is also independently owned and operated and serves the same 
type of customer when we look at our primary and secondary markets, right? Like who oh, is my so, customer? So, so you're selling juice, but you would go and see what kind of prices the, the, the spin studio was charging. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you go charge $29 for your juice because that's how much a spin class costs. It's a little bit more subtle no, than that. No, but you work out whether they're the bottom, middle or top of the market. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So a, as a relative measure, who am I catering to? And what is their price elasticity? Like, what are they willing to pay? And so that is why you see in the US, I'll use the US examples. In the US, you see Target stores are next to Lowe's Home Improvement stores. And they're they're like always the same type of store in the same area, because they know this on a very sophisticated level. So wow. you, you don't see a Saks Fifth Avenue next to a dollar store. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. That's really helpful. Like, of course, everyone knows that, but I didn't really think about why. Well, and how you can use that with your own business. So if I'm a coach, I'm looking at my avatar, which just means like, who is my primary customer? You have primary customers and secondary customers. Who's my mm-hmm. primary customer? Like, what do they spend their money on? What do they like? Where do they hang out? What do they do on a Friday night? And I actually mm-hmm. paint a robust picture. If I'm working with a business, I paint a robust picture of who their P1, their primary target, and their P2, their secondary target. Who are they? What do they do? Where do they shop? What are their hobbies? What, where are they spending their money? And it paints a much better picture um, mm-hmm. with regard to their willingness to pay. That's really interesting because I do all of that deep work with audience all the time as a writer and, and, and a communicator, but it never occurred to me that you do that with money too. I, it, that just never occurred to me. Yeah. With your own prices. It's so funny, yeah. right? Like, I mean, the cobbler's children has no shoes, etc. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So another version of this is to ask or to research similar services and businesses that are doing what you do, but they're doing it in a different market. And this was a lot harder before this wild and wonderful thing we have called the internet Mm -hmm. existed, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you can quite literally, I would reach out to somebody, I reached out to a business that I liked, I'm using the juice, uh, the juice and the cafe as an example again, but I just reached out to somebody who was on point and whose menu was on point and whose decor was beautiful, just someone I really admired, but they were, they were hundreds of miles away from me. And I reached out to them on Facebook. I was like, look, I'm doing what you're doing. I'm doing it in this market. I'm not even remotely in competition with you and never will be. Would you be willing to talk to me for 15 minutes? And they did? Yeah, they did. And some people won't even respond. And some people will say no. And some people will say yes. And I mean, you all, how many do you need? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So but again, I mean, it's that it's, it's that fear of rejection, isn't it? It's like, okay, so you ask five people and two of them say yes, and that's great. And and it's just really fine that three of them don't reply or say no. That's just really fine. Yeah, a thousand percent. I mean, I would never have a guest on this podcast if I let my fear of asking people who don't owe me anything for favors. I mean, you just, they, they're not going to remember your name 10 minutes later. What are you losing? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So go to people who are doing what you do. Use your own network to see if you can get to them with a warm introduction. And if you can't, try a cold one. It's fine. It's not going to kill you. So the the other thing is, and this is a little sneaky and it can, it can raise ethical questions, but secret shopping in your own market, if you do it. I was going to ask you about this. Like, I mean, presumably if you're starting a juice bar, you go and sit in other people's juice bars and order juice, right? Absolutely. So it doesn't matter what business you're in. If there's a way to experience what other people are doing or be exposed to how much they're charging for it, then great. But that's interesting, Anna, isn't it? Because in a retail scenario, that's fine because that stuff's out there in the public. I, as a consultant, really wouldn't be comfortable with phoning another consultant and pretending to be a client and asking them to price up a job. Like, I just wouldn't do that. 
And that's where there's an ethical barometer, right? And there's a boundary there and people have to understand that and figure out where that is for them. Let me, allow me to tell you about the time I crossed that ethical boundary, shall I? <laughs> yeah, come on. This sounds like a juicy one, Anna. Okay. So when I started my consulting business, basically it was like, we'll work for food. That was our strategy. <laughs> One, a friend of mine ran a medical practice and it was like aesthetics and plastics and that sort of thing. And she managed this plastics and aesthetics practice. And she said, I want to understand the service, the customer experience, the patient experience that the people I'm competing with offer. And I wouldn't mind knowing how much they charge. And I was like, okay. So I secret shopped for plastic surgeons. I made appointments pretending I needed plastic surgery. Don't judge. <gasps> Don't judge. And I went to four board certified plastic surgeons who then would spend 20 minutes telling me how badly I needed plastic surgery. <gasps> oh no. Oh no. This sounds like the worst job for a person. So I feel like I paid for the ethical breach. I feel like my <laughs> karma. Oh, Ella, did they tell you like, yeah, you need tons of stuff. My, my karma is restored because for whatever ethical ethical breach that is. And no matter how shady that was, because you remember, we'll work for food. I feel that I paid my debt to karmic society by being told how badly I needed work done. <laughs> oh, that's, that's just so horrible. I, I don't even know what to say about it. That is a, a bad gig, Ella. And I was 20 nothing. I didn't even need work done. <laughs> so that's my ethical breach. So yeah, that's secret shopping to the extreme. But anyway, there's lots of ways to do that ethically for sure. And studying how other people create a customer experience is very different than asking for their price list. So yeah, but, but, but here's another thing, right? So you can come at it from that angle where you work out what other people charge for it and you work out what your market can bear, you know, and all of that kind of thing. But also, like, what, what does it cost you? You know, when I first started working, I just sort of pulled a number out of the air and thought that would probably stack up. There is probably a more mature approach where you could work out what it costs you to provide a service or a product and, and work from there, no? Yeah, I mean, for sure. That's one thing that a lot of entrepreneurs don't do. And that is to zoom way out and say, wait, well, how much do I need to make? <laughs> like, there's that. Yeah. So how much do I need to make in a year? You should have three goals. You should have minimum, like the floor, what I need to pay the bills, plus a little extra, right? So mm -hmm. you should have your base level, then you need your big, hairy, audacious goal, your big, big goal, like don't be afraid because you're just setting a goal. And then in the middle is here's where I would feel like a success. I'm not just paying the bills and I'm not quite at my, you know, bajillionaire status yet, but here's where I feel successful. And I feel that this is a business that can sustain itself and might even grow. And so I would recommend that we all set three targets for ourselves. And the floor is non-negotiable. The floor, you have to get above that lowest number. You have to, or you yeah. don't have a sustainable business, period. You know, you have a hobby. So yeah. the second thing you do then is you're like, well, what does that mean per quarter? Okay, well, what does that mean per month? <laughs> and then from there, you have to break it down to, okay, what does that mean per day? Or what does that mean per service? Like if someone's selling coaching packages and they have to figure out, all right, in, in a quarter or in a month, how many packages do I actually need? to get out into the world and be paid for. But yeah. for somebody else, they might break it down actually to daily sales, like if they have a retail place or that that's where it depends on your business. But I mean, even just the act of, of zooming out and looking at what we need to make in a year is a step that so many of us skip. Oh, yeah. I've been trading for 15 years and I think I'm just sort of moving into this territory really. Oh, I mean, what, aren't we all what? though? I mean, aren't we all? <laughs> It's like a surprise. For the first 10 years of my business, it was like a fun surprise to see how much it made. 
No, that's how I work. Like every year has been bigger than the year before, but it feels like a kind of alchemy. It doesn't feel like something that I, I determined particularly. Right. Like we're not in charge. It just happens. <laughs> I suppose the last thing to say on this is in an ideal world, you would just ask your actual potential customers. And there are lots of ways to do this cleverly now, um, where you're not just like, hey, I've got this thing, how much would you pay for it? But where you're able to create polls, you're able to ask people it via survey, or you're able to get a couple people in the room. And I'll tell you what I mean by that and say, like, not what would you pay for this? how much value would it add to your life? Like how much value would this add to your business or what outcome would be worth something to you that you'd be willing to pay for it? Like asking questions like that actually creates a really robust conversation. It's not, hey, how much would you pay if I did this? You know, it's a very, very different feeling. Well, no, it's quite interesting actually. A friend of mine has an excellent business idea that I won't spoil for them by putting on the (laughs) internet, but has an excellent business idea. And the first thing they did was build a site. It's a retail product. Build a site as though it exists and put a shopping cart in and see how many people wanted to buy it at that price before it existed. And then just came back with an out stock message just to see if it had legs. Oh, I have so many questions about that. But and there's so many ways that people can do that metaphorically, virtually, or literally. I mean, when we were looking at starting something else that I ended up not starting, I had a bunch of women that were in my target market and I, and I bought them dinner. And I mean, you can buy them a couple bottles of wine and some cheese. Okay. You don't have to get crazy. And I just had conversations with them and I was like, you know, you're, I wasn't pretending it was something else, by the way, that would be gross. I was like, no, I just need your mm-hmm. feedback. Will you come talk to me about this? I'll buy you dinner. And they were like, yeah, you had me at dinner. Like, it's fine. And I, and I'm able to ask yeah. some questions and I'm not selling them. I'm asking them questions so I can learn from them. Uh, yeah. Poor side hustle. She's like, I really just wanted to know how much to charge. <laughs> Side hustle. If we if we've let you down, if you feel that you asked a very specific question and we didn't answer it, write to us, tell us off, and we'll try again. I'm really sorry. So we'll leave it there. I want to reiterate that money is neutral. It's really important to pay attention to the meaning that you're assigning to it. I want to remind everybody that they're probably creating more value than they realize. And when they stop looking at their products and services and start looking at their outcomes, they'll probably start to see that. And then I would just remind you that there's lots of ways to learn about pricing. You can go to people who are doing the same thing. You can go to people who are doing something different for the same people. You can start asking questions. Yeah. Emotionally, start getting comfortable with money and start being comfortable at playing big. That's the theme for all three of these questions is just start getting comfortable. Start practicing, whether you're practicing networking, practicing your phrase of strength, or practicing talking about money and getting comfortable with pricing. Like That's all you can do is start where you are. Oh my gosh. Use what you have are we gonna and say it do together? what you can. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys. Thanks for setting that one up for us. We love you. Bye. Bye. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.